Hallelujah. Amen. You know, we just sang prior to that song, a song that said, you're welcome in this place. But I wonder how many of you are ready to welcome him into this place tonight. Amen. You see, it's one thing to invite him into here, but it's another thing to invite him into here. Amen. So that's what we're going to do before I even start. We're going to ask God into here so that we can receive everything that he wants us to receive and be everything he wants us to be. Amen. Father God, we thank you that you are in this house tonight. But Father God, more importantly than that, we thank you that you are in our spirit, that you desire, Father God, to take residence within our soul. And God, if there's any reason that we've kind of pushed you out today because of the cares of life and the situations and the circumstances or sadnesses and sorrows, we take the time right now, God, to invite you back in to take that rightful place, O oh God, upon the throne of our heart. God, I pray that you would take your rightful place in my life, that you would be the one that speaks this evening, that you would be the one, Father God, that just brings forth your word and not myself. God, I covet your anointing. I covet your, your Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray that that would be the same prayer of your people today. God, that you would open up their ears to hear, that you would open up their hearts to receive, Father God, and that all of us, God, would just become more like your Son, Jesus Christ, through the power of your Word and the power of your Spirit. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. You go ahead. Well, there's my first slide. As you are aware, we've been on this uh, series of spiritual discipline. A couple of weeks ago, we began on the discipline of worship. Uh, tonight, I hope to finish up, actually, on the spiritual discipline of worship. But before I get to the meat of the word, I want to remind us that worship uh, is more than singing a song with our lips. I believe it's what we did this evening. It was singing a song with our heart. I really believe that the house tonight was filled, not that it is isn't every other night, but tonight I really felt like we were really worshiping God from the bottom of our heart. That's what worship is all about. It's, it's, it's worship that goes beyond our lips. It's singing a song with our heart, singing a song with our lives. We need to remember that, that worship, true worship, is demonstrating God's worthiness in every area of our lives. We can, can't afford to forget, and we need to always remember First of all, I like to recap a little bit. So some of what I say, you know, I've, you've probably already heard of the last couple of weeks. But I want us to always remember that the four living creatures and the 24 elders and the host of heaven's angels that stand round about the throne of God, they are constantly saying worthy. Worthy is the lamb that was slain or worthy is the one who was and is and is to come. But they were always proclaiming his worthiness. And what we need to understand is that just like those who stand round about the throne every single day of our life, we must proclaim the worthiness of God in our lives. They said, worthy is he to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and glory and praise. They said, worthy is he to receive glory and honor. Worthy is he to receive glory and dominion forever and ever and ever. You see, his worthiness is forever. His worthiness isn't just today because he got me through a situation. His worthiness is tomorrow because he's going to get you through another one. And he's going to get you through another one after that. Amen. His worthiness isn't because isn't based on the difficulty of our situation. His worthiness is simply based on the fact that he is God. Amen. 
So we can't ever forget that. As I read through that passage of scripture and what these angels were singing and what the 24 elders were singing around the throne, they said he is worthy to receive dominion forever and ever. And I wonder, church, how often we consider him worthy enough to receive dominion over every area of our life. I wonder, church, how worthy God really is or how worthy we consider him to receive absolute. You see, dominion means absolute authority. It means absolute control. It means to have absolute power and decision over our lives. And I wonder how often we consider him worthy enough to have complete control and dominion and authority over our lives. How, how often we consider him worthy enough to have dominion over our finances, to have dominion over our marriage, to, to have dominion over our kids, to have dominion over the decisions that we have to make from day to day, dominion over our businesses and dominion over the situations and circumstances in life. You see, when we, when we refuse to give him dominion, we cannot worship. When we refuse to give him dominion over every area of our life, we are a part-time worshiper. We're not a true worshiper. We're a worshiper that bases our worship on things other than simply his worthiness. So we need to, we need to understand that true worship... Uh, church gives him complete authority over every area of our life. You see, it's easy to give God dominion with our lips. It's easy to get up in the morning and say, oh, God, I'm giving you dominion today. God, I'm giving you complete authority today. God, I give you dominion over my marriage and over my finances. But as soon as you step out into the real world, as soon as you step into that circumstance and things begin to come against us, guess what we tend to do? We tend to take dominion back. We tend to take the authority back and the power back and and the responsibility back instead of keeping it in the hands of an almighty God who is worthy to receive dominion. Guess what? There's no one better to work out your situation than God. There's no one better to work out your marriage than God. No, no one better to work on the heart of your boss than God. No one better to work on the heart of your spouse or the hearts of your children than God. So he needs to receive the, the worthiness of complete dominion. We do that through worship. That's how we worship him. As we looked at last week, and I'm just going to recap these real quick, because what I want you to see is that worthiness comes in different forms and different formulas. Our worship church uh, must come through four different things. Go ahead and put up that slide if you have it. Uh, We must worship through our sacrifice. We must worship through our testimony. We must worship through our obedience. And we must worship through our faith. As we looked at last week, one woman worshiped through her sacrifice. She demonstrated God's worth to her by pouring out her most costly perfume on him. And you see, this is what we need to understand, church. She washed, and not to repeat, but she washed his feet with her hair. She dried his feet with her hair. With her hair. I mean, she washed his feet with her tears. She dried his feet with her, her hair. And then she anointed him with the oil of worship. And if you read that and you, you begin to study that, you begin to understand, I hope that you realize that when she worshiped and poured out her oil, everywhere Jesus went, I want you to understand that he wore the aroma of her worship. 
he wore the aroma of her sacrifice. He wore the aroma of her affection. When he left that place, guess what? He was wearing her worship. And you and I need to understand that our worship has to get past those doors on Sunday morning. God has to wear our worship everywhere he goes. And guess what? He goes everywhere we go. I wonder, church, how how far our worship carries. I wonder, I wonder how sweet uh, the aroma of our worship is. We need to understand that true worship will worship God beyond those doors. Our worship will carry out into the world. Our worship will carry into the workplace and carry into the neighborhoods and carry onto the college campuses and carry into the lunchroom and carry wherever it is that we go. I wonder how sweet our aroma is and how far our worship actually carries. When Jesus walked out that door, understand he was wearing the aroma of her worship. One woman worshipped with her testimony. She demonstrated God's worth to her by telling the world about him. This is what we need to understand. She opened her mouth and she worshiped the Lord with her testimony. Because the song you sing again out there is more precious to God than the songs that you will ever sing in here. The song you sing to your spouse is more precious to God than the song you sing in here. The song you sing in the workplace with your life and the song you sing to your children is more precious and important to God than the songs you will ever sing in here. Because true worship like like I said, carries into the rest of your life and carries into the rest of your world. If your worship is limited to the house of God, we are not true worshipers. We must worship him with our testimony. We must worship him by telling the world, look at what God has done. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I once was a drug addict. I once was an alcoholic. I once was a philanderer. I once was a liar. I once was a cheat. I once was a a thief. But now I'm a child of the most high God. We worship God with our testimony. You want to really worship God? Start telling somebody about Jesus Christ. Start telling the world what God has done and you will experience something you've never experienced before. Another woman was caught in adultery and she worshiped God through her obedience She demonstrated God's worthiness to her by becoming a doer of his word. You need to understand if you want to be a true worshiper of God, you need to be obedient to his word. You need to be obedient to his voice. You need to be obedient to his Holy Spirit. She worshiped. She might have lived a life of sin, but a point in time, a point and place came into uh, into existence in her life where she went and sinned no more. She worshiped God with her obedience. She worshiped God by becoming a doer of his word, by walking in his ways and and not her ways, by doing what was right in the sight of God and not what was right in her own eyes. If you want to truly worship God, you got to walk in his ways and not your ways. You want to truly worship God, you got to be obedient to the word of God, voice of God, and spirit of God in your life. When we walk in our own ways, we're not a true worshiper. When we do what is right in our own eyes, when we lean on our own understanding and fail to acknowledge God in all of our ways, we are a false worshiper. 
You and I need to always understand, church, that if we're living in sin, if we're living in disobedience, it doesn't matter how many songs we sing. It doesn't matter how loud we shout or how high we jump or how hard we clap. If we are living in disobedience to God's word, we are offering up nothing but false, vain, empty worship. Worship that doesn't accomplish anything. Worship that doesn't get anywhere. I've been there in my life. Early on in my Christian life when God was really trying to get a hold of me. I'd come into the house of God and I'd sing a whole lot of songs. But it was empty as a grave. It was dead. It was empty. I'm telling you there's nothing like worship that comes from a heart of an individual who is living right for God. There's nothing like worship that comes forth from an individual who is in right standing with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. If you want to experience real worship in your life, clean up your life, clean up your heart, clean up your home, clean up your speech, clean up your mind, clean up your family, and become a vessel of honor. This is how we truly worship God. She worshiped through her obedience, and we must do the same exact thing. Before I move on, I want you to understand that the opposite of worship is rebellion. You may not have ever heard that before, but the opposite of worship is rebellion, and it's exactly what Lucifer did. Lucifer was created to worship God, and as soon as he stopped worshiping, he entered into rebellion. As soon as you and I stop worshiping God with our obedience, as soon as we stop worshiping God with our sacrifice and our testimony and our faith, listen to me, we are in rebellion because Jesus said, you must worship God. He, we, we, as the created individuals must worship God and we must do it in these areas of our life if we're not doing that guess what we're in rebellion we're in rebellion when we, we don't offer the the sacrifice of our praise when we're not willing to pour out ourselves like this woman did guess what we're in rebellion because we're living for ourselves and not for God I could spend a whole lot of time on that but if you take notes write that down it's how we truly worship God As soon as Lucifer stopped worshiping, he started rebellion. And when we do not worship, we do the very same thing. When we as his creation do not consider him worthy of dominion over our life, when we don't consider him worthy enough for us to obey him and follow him and trust him and have faith in him, we really are living in rebellion. We are living in contradiction to the will of God and the purpose of God for our lives. And if we are in that state, And we try to open up our mouth and offer a verbal gift to God. It's in vain. It's empty. It doesn't accomplish anything in your life. There's no benefit to it. That's what it means. I'm telling you, when I come into the house of God, I want I want to benefit from my praise. I want to benefit from my worship. I want it to do more than just to move my body. I want it to move my soul. I want it to move my life. I want it to move my future. I want it to move the devil out of the way and king and the kingdom of God on my behalf. This is what true worship does. It affects things that false worship could never affect. False worship doesn't move God. False worship doesn't influence the devil. But true worship moves the devil and it moves God. True worship moves things in the spirit realm that you cannot see and things you cannot touch. But if you want some things to be moved that you just can't seem to move on your own strength and and by your own wisdom, get right with God and start worshiping. 
This is how things will move in your life. We've got to remember, church, the last woman that we looked at was the woman with the issue of blood who worshipped the Lord through her faith. She demonstrated his worthiness to her by putting her complete trust in him. This is another way we worship. Every single day when you get up, you can worship God by putting your complete trust in Him. When everything around you looks like a hell and high water coming your way, when you put your trust in God and you put your confidence in God, it is an absolute form of worship. When the, when the enemy is, is, is gathered round about you and you cannot see a way out, worship trusts in God. Worship knows that He is the one that is fighting for you. That He is the one that promised you victory. That's what worship does, church. It puts complete trust in God. You and I have to remember the Word of God says that without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. Without faith, it's impossible to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Without faith, you and I cannot be true worshipers. How can you worship someone you don't trust? How can you worship someone you have no confidence in? How can you hang your hopes on someone that you do not think is able to come through? How can you worship God as healer? Uh, how can you worship God as healer if you don't think he can heal you? How can you worship God as your provider if you don't believe he can provide for you? How can you? You can't. You cannot worship that which you have no faith in. You cannot worship that which you have no trust in church. Remember this woman, of all the people who surrounded Jesus on this occasion with the woman with the issue of blood, of all the people pressing in, of all the people gathering around Jesus, shouting out his name, grabbing at him, wanting something from him, of every single person there, thousands, church, only one person touched his power. Only one person in that entire crowd touched the divinity of God. And she did it through this thing called faith. If you want to touch the power of God, exercise some faith. If you want to touch the hem of God's garment and the robe of his royal power, you just got to demonstrate some faith. Got to demonstrate some faith. If you want to worship, if you, if you want your worship to touch God, it's got to be done in faith. Otherwise it's empty. Otherwise it's in vain. Otherwise, it accomplishes nothing in your life. If you don't believe what you sing on Sunday, can it really be worship? If you don't believe that he's able, if you don't believe, like I said, that he can heal you, if you don't believe his grace is sufficient for you, if you don't believe that he's an ever-present help in the time of trouble, if you don't believe that the name of the Lord is a strong tower, how can you run into it and be safe? How, how can you? You can't. We must exercise faith, church. With all of my heart, I believe the greatest reason people struggle with the spiritual, uh, spiritual discipline of worship is because they don't know who they're worshiping. They don't know who they're worshiping. They know about them, but they don't know them. They know about them, but listen to me, they're not intimately acquainted with God. They know about him, but they've never encountered him. They know about him. They've heard stories about him. They've heard preachers preach about him. They've heard mommy and daddy tell us about him. But they've never come face to face with an almighty God and experienced the Lord of glory, the King of glory. 
They worship. They, 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 they cannot exercise this discipline of worship because they don't know who they're worshiping. The house of God is filled with individuals, church, uh, that don't know the one they are supposed to be sacrificing for. They don't know the one they're supposed to be testifying about. They don't know the one they're supposed to be obeying or supposed to be trusting or, or who they are to be giving complete dominion over their life to. They just don't know him. They have no personal, in-depth relationship with him. He's nothing more than flat words on a piece of paper instead of a living God that's alive in the soil of their soul. And when that's the case, if the only thing you worship is a name on a piece of paper, you're not worshiping God. You've got to know God to worship God. You've got to encounter God to worship God. You've got to see God and recognize God like I talked about last week in order to respond appropriately to God. The house of God is filled with worshipers who have never had an encounter with God. There's so many years of my life. Listen to me. I, I was born a Christian. My dad was a preacher. My dad was an evangelist. Had a heritage. I mean, I'm saying that as a joke, born as a Christian, because we're all born sinners. But I was brought up in the church. I was diapered in the house of God. But there were so many years of my life where I worshipped a God I did not know. I sang songs to a God I had no clue who he was. He was nothing more than an empty song. He was nothing more than a person my daddy taught me about. Nothing more than a preacher preached about. But I'm telling you, there came a time in my Christian life in the year 1980, uh, October 18th, when I was standing in a youth choir singing about a God I didn't know. All of a sudden, the heavens opened in my life and I saw God. I understood who he was. And I'm telling you, my song changed. My dance changed. My clap changed. My testimony changed because I was worshiping a God I encountered. We all need to encounter God or our worship will be empty. Every single one of us must have an up-close encounter with God. If we don't, we cannot worship It'll be empty, it'll be void, you'll struggle trying to feel good when you come into the house of God. you got to know good, not feel good. When you know God, you worship, whether you feel good or not. So we must have an encounter with God to worship Him truthfully, church. I believe with all of my heart that week after week, people come into the house of God and they sing to a stranger. They sing to someone that they're not acquainted with. They sing to someone that they've never had a personal relationship that they couldn't tell you one personal story about that he did in their life. Don't have a testimony. They just don't know God. Maybe it's not their time yet. I don't know. There's a lot of reasons people don't know God yet. But the fact of the matter is, for us to worship, we must know God. What did Paul say to the men of Athens when he went through their city? In Acts 17, verse 22, he said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Religious. How many of you know religion isn't going to get you to heaven? How many of you know religion is not going to get you close to God? Religion's not your ticket to anywhere. Paul said, listen, uh, here's what I want you to understand. Paul, Paul said, he didn't say, 
I noticed that you're very righteous. He said, I noticed that you're very religious. Because religion puts on airs. But righteousness puts on the character of God. Religion offers false worship. But righteousness produces true worship. Religion won't get you to heaven. But righteousness will get you to the Father. So this is what we need to understand. Paul said in verse 23, For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship. Understand what he's saying. He's saying that as I looked around at the things you pay tribute to, as I looked around at the things that you bow down to and the things you hold in high esteem, as I looked carefully, he said, at the idols you have erected in your life, he saw something that troubled him. And I'll share that in a second. But the first thing that I want you to know is that God, like Paul, looks very carefully at your objects of worship. God looks very carefully at the things we hold in high esteem. God looks very carefully at the idols and the images and the things that we have erected in our lives. I want you to know that God looks very carefully at the things you have hanging on your wall. He looks very carefully at the things that your son and your daughter have around in their room. He looks very carefully at the things you have on the coffee table and the, the knickknacks and the, and the things you have up on your thing, on your, on your, uh, bookcases. He looks very carefully at your CD collection and he looks very carefully at your music collection. I want you to know that God, the holy God, looks very carefully at the clothes you wear and the company that you keep. He looks very carefully. He looks very carefully at the things that we set up and hold in high esteem in our life. He looks carefully at the objects of our affection. And then he wonders which of those things hold more dominion in our life than he does. How many of those things hold more affection in our life than he does? How many of those things hold more power in our life than he does? How many of those things occupy more of our time than he does and more of our devotion than he does? He looks very carefully at the, the favorites tab that you have on your website, on your computer. He looks very carefully at those things, church, to determine who is number one in your life. And you see, if it's not God, you're nothing more than religious, like the men of Athens, not righteous. You see, this is what we need to learn from this passage of Scripture, that God is looking for something specific. And he goes on, and the thing that he found, that, that he found troubling, he said that, As I looked at the things you hold in high esteem, I even found an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. I found an altar built to a God you don't even know. I found an altar built to a God that you have no personal relationship with, uh, to a God that you are not intimately acquainted with, to a God you've never even met, to a God that doesn't hold a, a, a high place in your life. This is what troubled Paul. But he goes on and he says, he says, this, this altar that I found with an inscription to an unknown God or to an unfamiliar God, I am going to, or the one that you now worship in ignorance, he goes on to say, this, this God that you worship in ignorance, this God that you worship in vain, without any knowledge, this God that you, you bow down to that you don't even know, but you worship in ignorance, I am going to proclaim to you in fullness. And Paul goes on in the rest of the chapter 
the rest of Acts chapter 17, and he reveals to them the glory and the worthiness of God. Why? So that they might no longer worship him in vain. And see, I want you to understand, one of the reasons that pastor preaches his heart out on Sunday morning is so that you might become personally acquainted with God and not have to worship in vain. The reason that I bring you these kind of messages and talk to you about a relationship with God is so that you don't have to erect altars to an unknown God and can worship him in spirit and in truth. This is what you and I need to understand. The fact is that uh, every single Sunday, thousands of individuals, church, erect altars to an unknown God. And I pray that we are never one of those individuals. What we need to know about the men of Athens is that when it came to their worship, they were playing it safe. When it came to their worship, they were playing it safe. You see, the men of Athens and the people of Athens worshipped all sorts of gods. They worshipped sun gods and moon gods and the earth god. They worshipped the, the god of fertility and the god of prosperity and every other god you could think of. They were very religious in every way, Paul said. They had altars everywhere. Everywhere Paul went, he saw altars erected in their lives. And I wonder how many altars God sees when he comes into our life. One here, one here, one there, one there. Instead of one that stands higher than all the rest. Here's what you need to understand about the men of Athens. They were playing it safe. Just in case there was a God out there that they missed among all these other gods, they erected an altar to an unknown God. Just in case there was a God they did not want to make angry, they put up an altar to an unknown God. Just in case there was a creator God, a true God, one God above all the other gods that they were worshiping, a God that created the moon, a God that created the sun, a God that created all these other gods that they worship. Just in case there was a God they missed, they set up an altar to an unknown God. And how often we play that same game with God. Just in case, God... I'll sing you a song. Just in case this heaven and hell stuff that the pastor preaches about is true, I'll sing a little song. Just in case there is a God out there who sees, I'll come to church. Just in case there's a God out there that can hear everything I say and see everything I do, I'll try this. Just in case we try to worship God. Listen to me. There's no such thing as just in case worship. There's no such thing as just in case there's a God. And yet that's what the house of God is filled with. Just in case Christians. Just in case it's all real. Just in case the pastor's uh, telling the truth. I, I guess I better go to the altar. You understand what I'm saying? So often we get caught in this trap. That's not worship. That's false worship. It's worshiping a God or trying to bow down or pay tribute to a God you don't even know. We don't need to be a just-in-case Christian. Amen? Amen? But we do the same thing from time to time. It's what the men of Athens did. With their lips they showed much love, but in their heart they were far away from God. Jesus said in John 4, 23 to 24, He said, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. And I'll go on. Listen, I want you to know that God is looking for a particular worshiper. 
God's not just some haphazard God that walks around the church and say, okay, well, I'll take their praise this morning. I'll take their worship this morning. Uh, They're dressed up real nice, so I'll take them. And they got on a Rolex watch, so uh, I'll accept their worship. And uh, you know that one back there? They drove up in a real nice car, so I'll accept their worship. That's not how God works. God is looking for one kind of worshiper, and he said, I am looking for a true worshiper. What that tells me is that there are people in the house of God who are false worshipers, worshiping a false God. Uh, What that tells me is that there is true worship and false worship. It tells me that there is worship that touches God, and there's worship that doesn't touch God at all. There is worship that reaches the heavens, and there's worship that doesn't reach past the, the, the roof in the house of God, or the roof of your car that you might be driving in, or the roof of the bedroom that you're sleeping in. There is worship that breaks through everything, breaks through hell and high water. There's worship that breaks through every obstacle that the devil will try to bring your way. There's worship that breaks through darkness. There's worship that breaks through prison cells like Paul. Paul and Silas did. There's worship that breaks through prison bars. And there's worship that goes absolutely nowhere. I want my worship to reach the ears of God. I want my worship to break through darkness. I want my worship to break through the, the obstacles and the valleys of the shadow of death in my life. And the only way that will happen is if I am a true worshiper. What's a true worshiper? It's a few things. It's someone who gives God his due. A true worshiper is someone that counts God and considers God worthy of all the praise, all the glory, all the honor. A true worshiper worships God through their obedience, through their sacrifice, through their testimony, and through their faith. That's a true worshiper. True worshiper. That's who God's looking for. Every single day, God's eyes... Go to and fro across the earth, it says, so that he might show himself strong towards the faithful. This is who God's looking for. You cannot be unfaithful to God and be a true worshiper. You can't serve God when you feel like serving God and think he's going to accept your worship. You can't, you can't be a part-time practitioner of faith and say, okay, well, now, God, things are tough. I'm going to start worshiping and I want you to break through. Guess what? You're going to have to do a lot more than that. You're going to have to struggle on your own because God is looking for a true worshiper. And he goes on and says, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is looking for one type of worshiper and that is a true worshiper. One that's willing to worship him in spirit and in truth, the Bible says. Here's what I want you to to see. Jesus is telling us that there's coming a time and a time has come when there will be true worship and false worship. Worship, like I said, that touches God and worship that doesn't touch God at all. And I'm running out of time, but I'm going to get through this if I can. I want to take you back to the occasion with the woman with the issue of blood, who when she pressed through the crowd and demonstrated her faith and grabbed a hold of the hem of his garment, Jesus stopped in his tracks with a thousand people around. And guess what he said? He looked at his disciples and he said, who touched me? Who touched me? Who touched my divinity? Who touched the heavens? Who touched my father? He said, who touched me? And the disciples looked at him because there were thousands of people all around Jesus. And they almost jokingly said, Jesus, are you kidding? 
What are you talking about? There's a thousand people in this crowd. Everyone's grabbing at you. Everyone's bumping shoulders and rubbing elbows. Everyone wants a piece of God. What do you mean, they said, who touched me? He said, and I'm paraphrasing, what Jesus said is there's someone in this crowd. There's someone in this crowd who recognized my divinity and they were willing to worship me because of it. They didn't want a piece of me. They didn't want something from me. They were willing to pour out something on my life. Even though she reached out and wanted healing, she was offering herself to God through faith. He said in the midst of the crowd, listen, what I'm telling you, what Jesus is telling us in this passage of Scripture is a time is coming... And a time is here when the house of God will be filled with individuals grabbing at Jesus, calling at Jesus, pressing in around Jesus, packing in the pews. But there will only be a few in the midst who will actually touch God, who will actually touch the throne room of heaven and feel the power of God flow into their life through what? True worship. True worship. I don't know about you. But I want to be counted among the true worshipers. I want, to be, I want to be counted among those that when God says, who touched me? Someone can say, Pastor Jeff touched you. Someone can say, Yvonne touched me. Someone can say, Brother Willie touched you, Jesus. Whatever your name might be. I want to be counted among those who actually touch the throne of God. I don't want to touch his name. I don't want to just touch a story. I don't just want to touch an image. I don't want to just touch a, a, a concept of, of who he might be. I want to truly touch God. And I can do that through true worship. Jesus said, you got to worship me in spirit and in truth. In the next five minutes, I'm going to have to try to get through this as fast as I can. Well, there's something else that I want to cover, too. And I want to see if I want to skip on. One of the greatest reasons that God, that there is so much false worship, I believe, going on in the house of God. One of the greatest reasons that our worship never touches God is because, and I might not even get, it, get to get to the rest because I want to cover this. It's because God is just mixed in with all the other gods. God, in today's society, Christian society, and even in the house of God is mixed in with all the other gods. Come Sunday, he's right up there with Golden Corral. Come Sunday, he's right up there with Chick-fil-A or he's right up there with Cracker Barrel. Come Sunday morning, he's right up there with our favorite eating place. Or he might be right up there with a fishing trip I got that afternoon. He might be right up there with a round of golf that I got planned that afternoon. I want you to understand that the reason that, that our worship is, is so much in vain and, and the reason that our worship never really touches God is because God is just mixed in with all the other false gods and all the other self-erected idols that we have established in our lives. Just like with the men of Athens, God is not set apart. God is not set above. We have not consecrated ourselves unto God like we should. He's mixed in with all the rest. There's so much false worship going on today because the one we worship is not highly esteemed above everything else and everyone else in our lives. We simply fit him into the mix just in case he's real. And unfortunately, when he comes seeking 
for a true worshiper, when he goes through your life and he goes through my life and he goes through the kids' lives and our, our teenagers' lives, he finds himself mixed in with all of the other things that have dominion and authority and power in our lives. He's mixed in with soccer practice. He's mixed in with cheerleading. He's mixed in with baseball practice. He's mixed in, you see, and I'm not condemning anybody for any of this, but I want you to clearly understand when I was a teenager and I wrote and, and when I was involved in sports, they never did sports on Sunday, never did sports on Wednesday. So as a parent, my parents never had to make that decision. But I want you to know you better be very careful as a parent what idols you're erecting in your kids' lives because the house of God and the place where they receive the word of God is more important than the idol of soccer, more important than the idol of baseball, more important than the idol of football. They might have dreams of playing for the NFL or playing for the NBA, but none of them are going to get them to heaven. None of them are going to give them a relationship with God. I want you to understand clearly that we are responsible for the idols that our children and build in their lives and we usually build them right along with them we must be careful to not let God be mixed in with all of the other gods and idols in our lives because if we do we are not true worshipers if we do we are offering false worship to a holy God so we look at this what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. And I'm not going to be able to finish it, but I'm going to tell you what it is. To worship in spirit means that you must first be born again. Not of the flesh, but of the spirit. Because you need to realize that a heart that is unregenerated can't worship God. A heart that has never been touched by God cannot touch God in return. You need to understand that a soul that has never recognized its sin cannot recognize God in worship because the sin stands in the way. In order for you to worship God in spirit, it means your spirit must be born again. It means your spirit must be washed in the ever-loving blood of Jesus Christ and everlasting blood of Jesus Christ. That is how we worship in spirit. The, the unregenerated soul, the old nature, the old self, the flesh cannot worship God. It worships itself. So in order to worship God in spirit, you must be born again. You must be in right relationship with God. You cannot have sin in your life. You cannot be stained with the things of this world. You must be pure and upright before God through the blood of Jesus Christ in your life. And once you invite Jesus into your life, you have made connection with the Father and you have the ability to worship Him in spirit. If not, you are simply worshiping Him in flesh. For a lot of my years, I worshipped God in the flesh. For years of my so-called Christian life, I worshipped God, tried to worship God, while I did what was right in my own eyes. And that worship did nothing for me. He also goes on and says, but you can't just worship in spirit. You've also got to worship in truth. And to worship God in truth means, real quickly, that you've got to worship Him according to the Word of God. You've got to worship Him according to who the Word creates Him to be and not who you want Him to be. You understand what I'm saying? If you're trying to worship God as some sugar daddy in the sky who's going to make you a, uh, make you a millionaire because you sent a hundred bucks to some TV preacher, you're false worshiping God. 
And listen to me, you're worshiping a false God as well. If you're worshiping God as a God who's going to send you a million bucks because you sent a hundred bucks to a charlatan, you're worshiping a false God because scripture doesn't make him out to be that kind of God. If you're worshiping God as someone who overlooks sin, who overlooks, uh, uh, you know, uh, pornography, who overlooks homosexuality, who overlooks abortion and thinks that's all okay. If you're worshiping God as one who thinks it's okay to sin, you're worshiping false and you're worshiping a false God because scripture does not bear God to be that. He's a righteous God. He's a holy God. He's a just God. He's a godly God. If you're worshiping, listen, and I know, I know I'm going a little bit long, but if you're worshiping, you're worshiping God as Oprah does, like he's a God that, that allows a, a thousand different ways to him and a thousand different ways to heaven, guess what? That's false worship. And it's worship to a false God. Because the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob said there's one way to the Father, and that is through my son, Jesus Christ. Anyone that tries to come in another way is nothing more than a goat. Nothing more than a, than a, than a thief. Nothing, nothing more than someone who does not deserve to be in my presence. We must worship God according to the Word of God. We must worship God as who the Word says He is. And listen close with this. Go ahead and put on the music. If you don't know the word, you don't know God. If you don't know the word of God, you cannot be a true worshiper. Listen to me, because all you'll do, all you'll do and all you'll be is an individual that might try to worship him in spirit. You see, Jesus said, you got to worship me in spirit and in truth. They go hand in hand because one without the other goes nowhere. One be, if you worship God just in spirit, you're all over the map. If you just worship God in spirit, you turn into wildfire. If you worship just God in the spirit without the foundation of the word of God behind it all, it's false worship. It's false fire. It becomes chaotic. You know, it used to be real big in the charismatic movement was this spirit worship, the freedom to worship. It was, it was all emotion with no devotion. And what we need to understand is that God is saying, look, you can be as free in the spirit as you want. You can jump as high as you want, but you better have a solid foundation to land on when you come back down. You can shout all you want, but it better be backed up by the Word of God. You can claim everything you want, but it better be backed up by the Word of God. You better worship me as who I am and not who you want me to be. Do you understand what I'm saying? When you worship me, you must worship me in spirit and in truth. Because if you just worship me in spirit, someone's going to think you're a kook. Because if you just worship me in spirit, then, then you're not going to touch God. And if you just worship me according to the word and you don't allow room for the Holy Spirit, you're going to be a stick in the mud. It's going to become liturgical. It's going to become rehearsed. It's going to become just repetitive words over and over and over again. He was saying that if the true worshiper knows how to worship me in spirit and in freedom, and they know how to worship me based on the word of God. I hate to say this, but the Pentecostal movement has been, has been very guilty of not building their worship on the Word of God. We enjoy all the freedom. We enjoy all the jumping. We enjoy all the shouting. We enjoy all the dancing. But we're not willing to devote ourselves to what thus saith the Lord. In order for you to worship truly, you must worship, Jesus said, in spirit 
and in truth. And when you do, there will be a reward that you've never experienced in your life. This is what I this is what I'll close with. If you really want to experience God and want to be a true worshipper, you begin to worship God in the spirit. Make sure you're clean, make sure you're pure. Make sure that you have the 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 indwelling of the spirit in your life and and I'm not just talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's a whole nother experience, but I'm just talking about having the spirit of Christ in your life and then you must build your worship and your life on the word of God. If you want to be a true worshiper that worships in spirit and truth, I want you to stand with me this evening because this is who God is looking for, church. Those who worship him in spirit and in truth. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word this evening. I thank you, Father God, that you give us an outline in your word of of what it means to be a true worshiper. I thank you, Father God, that you don't just tell us to worship. You tell us how to worship and you show us how to worship. I thank you, Father God, that you've given us the information that we need to be true worshipers. And I pray, Father God, that tonight you would raise up those who are willing to worship you in spirit and in truth. God, that we would balance the spirit with the truth and that we would balance the truth with the spirit. I pray, Father God, that we would not be guilty of worshiping that which we do not know, but that each and every day, Father God, we would strive to know you better Strive to know you more. Strive to become more intimately acquainted with you in all of our ways, Father God, so that in every area of our life we can give you dominion, we can give you our obedience, we can give you our praise, we can give you the glory and the honor, and everything that is due your name. I pray, God, that we would not be false worshipers, God, but that we would be those who worship you in spirit and in truth. So start this week in our lives, Father God. That we might even demonstrate it as we go this evening. Take that sweet aroma of worship, O God, wherever we go. We give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Can we just bless the Lord as we always do, church? If you have a special need, I'll tarry with you.